You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Well, good morning. Welcome to Mount Pleasant Baptist once again. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll continue here in this chapter that we've been in for several weeks now, talking about faith and this journey of faith that we're taking, and also as we look at it, seeing what the power of faith can do in lives and for us. You know, just a couple of things as you're turning that we, we should have learned and, and, and hopefully help us as we look at this today is that we do see a definition of faith in verse 1 of chapter 11. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But is this just a general definition of faith? Or does it lead us to show us that we need to put our faith in something or someone that will show us the absolute truth of this world, the absolute truth of right and wrong? And I believe we do see that because in the next two verses, verses 2 and 3 there in chapter 11, that says, For by it, faith... The people of old, you know, we've been studying, again, the people, the, the, the patriarchs, if you will, of the Israelites and the faith they put in God that of old received their commendations. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And it is a faith that understands that God created everything, and in that God created everything, therefore, what we must see is then we're accountable to Him. As He spoke with His Word, the world into existence, the universe. In fact, look at these next couple of pictures. I'm kind of fascinated by space, and, and I pulled a couple of these pictures off the web, and this is from the Hubble telescope, and, and you just see the beauty from that, and you see design and creation in all of that. And again, with my fascination of space, I, I love to read and, and watch documentaries about the Apollo, uh, uh, you know, the race to the moon and the Apollo missions. And so we see a picture here that was taken by several of them, but this one is definitely from Apollo 11. And we know Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and, and uh Michael Collins were the three on that spacecraft and they were headed to the moon and, and man was going to put those first steps on the moon. We know Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were the first two. In fact, July 20th, in just six short days, it'll be the 50th anniversary. As Neil Armstrong came down that ladder and he, he made that, uh, that famous quote now, you know, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And we see the beauty in that even as we looked at that picture of how that could happen and they could pick that up because of the, the, how great God made everything and how timely it is. We know God created man and woman. He created us special in the fact that we have souls, we have a spirit, so we could commune with Him, that we could communicate with Him and talk with Him, and that He could express His love towards us, and we could express our love towards Him. But we know that sin came into the world, and we are separated from Him because of that sin, but His love never stopped for us. And that fact that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins... And through that, as we look at that, it is our faith, who is it directed to, that will eventually give us our eternal destination, whether it be heaven or whether it be hell. 
And as we look at this, we know that even faith in God, if we are saved today, that our faith that is exhibited each and every day as we face days with struggles, with, with things that come at us that this life throws us, that, that faith, one, yes, gives us salvation through repentance and trust, but faith each and every day can help us through these struggles of life as we see this thing coming at us. But also 11.6, Hebrews 11.6 tells us, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. And again, in that, what we're seeing is we're seeing our faith has to be directed to someone or something. But in this case, someone, God, that gives us salvation. Because we're all sinners and we need that. And we need that. But in that also it says if we seek Him, if we seek Him each and every day, that we are rewarded and not necessarily again with the material things of this world, but we can have that peace, that grace to go through those struggles that I mentioned that we may face from time to time in this life. You know, as we studied this chapter and the people that we've uh, talked about, you know, they expressed their faith. And their expressions of their faith were not always perfect because they were imperfect people, and so are we. So we express our faith in God imperfectly many times, many times. But the point is here is that we have a choice to make, and we're going to talk about choices a lot today. And they had a choice to make. All, all that we have already talked about, Abel, Cain, Enoch, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Esau, and Joseph, all had to make a choice whether to be obedient and follow God at His word or not. That's why I mentioned even Cain and Esau, because we know they, they rejected God. And there's consequences when we reject the word of God and do not follow and not be obedient to what he says. In fact, it even started in the Garden of Eden before Cain and Abel with Adam and Eve. When Satan tempted them, there stood that tree, the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, and, and Satan comes and has Eve looking at it. And, and Adam's right there too. Let's not forget, Adam's right there too. And he questions God's word. He tempts Eve, with that temptation, did God really say? Did God really say? And there was a choice given. Obedience or rejection of the truth of God's word. And we will see it today even through Moses. Moses had choices to make in his life. And let's go ahead and read our scripture and begin and see as we use Moses here today about faith and this journey of faith we're, we're going through through this chapter. But verse 23 through verse 29, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them, and by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Now these verses is kind of a synopsis of Moses' life. But what we see is that faith surrounded Moses' life from the beginning. We look here at verse 23, and we see that Moses' parents had faith. 
Because what it's talking about, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Well, to see the extent of Moses' parents' faith, I believe we need to see what this edict was. And what is an edict? Well, it's a proclamation by a king, in this case, it's king of Pharaoh of Egypt, that he would make this proclamation that the whole kingdom had to follow, and if you didn't follow what he said, there were going to be consequences. So we find this in Exodus chapter 1. So if you'll go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 1. As we've been going through this chapter, we've mostly spent time in, in, uh, in Genesis, but now we're going to look in Exodus, because the most, most of Moses' life, or all of it, we see with the next four books. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But Exodus chapter 1, we're going to read verses 15 through 22. As you're turning, I'm going to go ahead and begin to read, because it's several verses. It says, Then the king of Egypt, verse 15, said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shephrah, and the other Puah, When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, here's the edict, verse 22, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So there it is. For every son of the Hebrews to be killed. So not only did he have that command going out, now he's got all of Egypt. They're watching. He has put this before the kingdom, and the kingdom is to obey this edict. And if they see these Israelites, the Hebrews, having any male children, they are to kill them. They are to get the baby and throw it into the Nile. Now, how did we get to this point? What brought this Pharaoh, this king, to this point? And we talked a little bit about it last week with Joseph. You know, do a quick synopsis of his life. We know that he is one of the 12 sons of Jacob, and that Joseph uh, was able, he had dreams and he had dreams that his family one day would, would bow down to him. And he shared that with his family. Of course, his brothers got jealous. We know he was sold into slavery. He ended through circumstances. He ended up in Egypt. And then being able to interpret dreams also, we know that the Pharaoh had, had a dream and nobody could interpret it. And Joseph was brought out of prison where he was in prison. And he was able to interpret the dream of seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. And Joseph was put in second in command in Egypt. And then we know that his, his brothers came because they were in part of the, where the famine was. And they came down and, and, uh, and Joseph and his brothers reunited. And we, we saw that where there was forgiveness extended. And, and all of Joseph's family was able to come down. And they resided in the land of Goshen, a very fertile land. And we know that... Speaking of edicts, that the Israelites took God's edict of being fruitful and multiplied very seriously. And they started having children and, and having many children. And they started growing in number. And this is where the Pharaoh started getting a little afraid. Because they were becoming great in number. And he thought, okay, what if they try to overtake us? What if they team up with another nation and try to overtake us? And this is where the edict comes from. 
And he oppresses them and puts the Israelites into slavery. And they start, you know, making those bricks and building, building these cities in Egypt. But also the sons to be killed. And so now we see from that the extent of Moses' parents' faith. Because we see that what they do, they took Moses when he was born. And they hid him for three months. And at the end of the three months, if we were to read on through Exodus 2, is that you know, his, his, his mom and dad put him in that basket and sent him down the Nile. You know, not knowing what was going to happen. Could you imagine taking your three-month-old child and putting him in a basket and just start sending them down a, a river? But their faith, their faith even in that, in, in that God. And then, then we know that, that Miriam, Moses' sister, was following the basket. And so as we go through this, we see God's providence because it just so happens Pharaoh's daughter comes out to the river to bathe and here's this basket caught in the reeds. She opens it and here's this baby crying and our scripture tells us that she had pity, actually compassion. And of course, she knew as a Hebrew child, she stated so, probably because of the, the, the cover or the, the blanket that Moses might have been wrapped in. And so we see here again, by chance, here's Miriam, this little girl, walking down the river, and she hears this conversation between the Pharaoh's daughter and her, her maidens. And she says, hey, uh, do you want me to go get a Hebrew woman to nurse this child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter agreed, said, yeah, it's a good idea. Well, who do you think Miriam went to get? Y'all know this. I know you know this very well. She goes back and gets Moses' mother, birth mother. And we actually know from Exodus chapter 6 the names of Moses' mom and dad. Amram is his father, and Jochebed is, her mo is his mother. Now, when I read it, I kept saying Jochebed, Jochebed. I'd never looked it up, but it's actually Jochebed. Jochebed is her name. And actually, her name means Jehovah is glory. And that's going to be a point here in a few minutes. So as they're going down, we see that she gets her child returned to her. And let's look at that. Exodus chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Because we're going to see something here about Moses. But Exodus chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It says, And Pharaoh's daughter, and this is after the conversation between Miriam and the Pharaoh's daughter, And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away, speaking to Yaakovid, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So here we see that Moses' mom and dad, birth mom and dad, get their child back. Well, what do you think happened in that time that, that they received him back? Because what we see here is a term that says, when the child grew older. Now, I always thought, I don't know if I was taught this, but I thought that what probably happened when it's talking about the child grew older is just after he, she weaned her. Yaakov, his mother, he weaned her and then gave him back to the Pharaoh's daughter. But as I looked at this, I became real curious about it because how did Moses, how did that faith get passed on to him to where one day he would come back and reject Egypt and then walk out in faith for God Jehovah? 
And so as I studied this, as we looked at this, I even went to Josephus, the Jewish historian, and he said, what would happen during this time, any event like this, at least, at least they would be kept for three years. Now, I've read some other commentaries and some other of the other Bible scholars said maybe even up to 12 years. I wouldn't go that far, but even three years. And some of them said that even possibly to the point of where it would be considered school age for the Egyptians. So they had these years with Moses. What do you think they did? Well, think about it. By faith, they hid him. They weren't afraid of the king. They wanted to honor God. By faith, again, to protect him, they put him in this basket, sent him down the Nile. What was Yaakov's name? Jehovah is glory. Do you think they took the time to pour every moment they could into Moses about the Lord, about the one true God, about Yahweh? I would say they did. And as we look at this picture here also, you know, we were challenged a few, few weeks back, that as parents, that are we, are we taking the time with our children? Are we making the Word of God a priority in our homes? And we see as we have studied that, you know, everyone had a choice to make. What are we doing? What are we doing, dads? What are we doing, moms? What are we doing, parents? Are we sharing that with our children? You know, even as we look at this, we also realize that you know, yes, Amron and Yochavet had that time with Moses, but also we know that Hebrew, uh, that Moses always knew he was a Hebrew. You know, we look at Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, it's just right below what we read. It says, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. One of his people. Now, who wrote the book of Exodus? We know Moses did. So really what we're seeing here is almost an autobiography from him. So he's relating to this as he's writing this, that, look, I went out to see my people one day. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, verse 23, we look at Stephen and his words, the first martyr of the new church, of the first century church, as he stood before the Sanhedrin council, as he's been accused of blasphemy, as he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He even says this in verse 23, he says, When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. So we see that it was passed down all along. Moses knew he was a Hebrew. And as I mentioned, we have choices to make each and every day. Are we going to honor the Lord? Are we going to obey His Word? Is it going to be the authority to our lives? Are we going to make it a priority in our homes? And so as we have those choices, Moses had choices before him also. And we see this. We see this in verse 24. So if you will, turn back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. And here's where we start seeing these choices come in. Because something's happening to Moses at this time. Moses is looking at the world before him, and he has choices to make. But Hebrews 11, verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now one thing we must realize here as we look at this is that Egypt was a superpower during this time. And going back to referencing Stephen again, as he's standing before the Sanhedrin, he's kind of giving like an apologetic type uh, display here before them as he's, as he's telling them about their own history, but leading up to Christ. 
That, that now the, the law is not, the sacrifices are not needed, but now it's faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he reminds them that Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. See, there was a point that Amram and Yochaved had to give Moses back over to the Pharaoh's daughter. And yes, then he started being brought up in the wisdom of the Egyptians, going to their schools, learning their culture, learning what to do, what it took, what it meant to be the son of a Pharaoh's daughter. And so, was, you know, he was growing up. Egypt was a powerhouse, and they were building these large structures, the cities, and even these. If you look at these, y'all know what those are? I'm sure you do. It's the pyramids. And again, we learned through history, through Josephus, that the Israelites were probably in Egypt around this time. It's called the 12th dynasty, and a few of these were built. And we know the Israelites built bricks. And actually, if you take off, they've researched this, and through archaeology, you take some of that facade off, and what you find are these bricks behind that, behind that facade. And so we see the importance of something here, of what Moses said said he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Well, what did it mean to be a son of Pharaoh's daughter? What was he rejecting? What was he refusing that comes along with that? Well, being a son of Pharaoh's daughter, where do you think that put him in line for the kingdom? What do you think his next step as he grew older was going to be? Was he going to be the next Pharaoh, the next king? And he said, I don't want that. He had every pleasure imaginable. He had all the wealth. Remember, Egypt again, this time is like the Rome of, of the early, late B.C.s into the first century. They are a world power, and he had everything before him. And he says, I don't want that power. I don't want that prestige. I don't want all that pleasure that's before me. See, at the age of 40, something happened in Moses' life, and we already read it, but in Exodus 2.11, it says he went out and visited his people. Now think about it. Moses is being trained. He is becoming intelligent in the things of what Egypt was doing with their building. He was becoming submerged into their culture. Now, how many times did he walk out to check on what was being done? How many times had he seen this scene before that one of his people was being beaten? How many times had he walked out before that he had seen one of his people mistreated? But then turned around and walked back into the palace, walked back into his place. But see, this time he walked out and something clicked. He looked upon it, and he saw what he should have seen all along. And think about us, some of us, with our salvation. How many times have we heard the gospel? How many times have we been under the word of the gospel, and we just say, I, I don't want that. I don't need that. I'm okay without that. I got my power. I got my prestige. I've got my sin that I love. But then one day, one day, it snaps, it clicks, and you realize what that sin is and how it's an affront to a holy God. And you come before him repenting of your sins and trusting and putting that faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
So how many times had Moses walked out and seen this? And now finally, it clicked. It clicked. And something started happening in his heart, in his heart. And what did he do when he saw this Egyptian beating up his brother? He killed him. He murdered him. And he hid him in the sand. And he tried to bury it. And he tried to get away from it. He goes back to his life. You know, ladies and gentlemen, followers of Jesus Christ, we have choices to make every day also. Are we going to be obedient to God's word? Are we going to let him be glorified through our lives? Are we going to share the gospel? Are we going to live lives that are holy and righteous in front of others? Are, when situations come at us, how are we going to react in those situations? Are we going to be Christ-like or are we going to lash out to people? There are choices every day in our lives that we must, must look upon to, to think of Christ and what he is in our lives and what we should do and how we should live. You know, Moses, as he looked upon this scene, there were choices to be made. He's already made one. He says, I have refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. But look at verses 25 and 26. Because not only does he refuse to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, and what that means, remember what that means, what he's turning from, what he's rejecting. Because now he's making a choice, and now he's comparing it to something. He's not just leaving it out there without a comparison to show us what he was leaving behind and what is coming before him and for us. But it says he's choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. It says he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So, you know, we've talked about power, we've talked about wealth, but also what we see in these type of pagan cultures, and we see it definitely today, that within all that, there's also the sin of the sensuality, and that is expressed in the pagan empires. You know, Moses, again, had everything available to him, everything. But he chose to say no. He said, I'm going to honor God. And we in our lives also must look at that. What are we using our resources for? How are we using our bodies? You know, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, and 5, it tells us, for this is the will of God, our sanctification, that we would flee from sexual immorality. Each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And so as we look at that, we know, you know, God established that one man, one woman, marriage, and sexual activity outside of that, outside the bonds of marriage, is sin. Outside is sin. And we see that, that God wants us to be holy and righteous in our lives. But as we see here again, Moses is telling us, because he says, I, I am, I'm refusing the fleeting pleasures of sin. Telling us that sin is pleasurable there are things but why would satan tempt us with so many things if we look at it and go oh satan that's just horrible and terrible no we are tempted it because he makes it look good in our eyes but again the word fleeting fleeting temporary it is temporary and what moses is showing us through these words and what god has shown us through these words is there's more than the temporary there's the eternal to consider the eternal to consider and I want us to turn to James chapter 4 real quick to make a point about that. James, James chapter 4, it's just a few pages over. And we'll be in James on Wednesday night starting the 24th of this month. 
And we're going to teach through the book of James. But James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I already mentioned to you, I'm kind of fascinated again by uh, you know, the Apollo missions and, and, the, and the space race there. And as I was looking at this and studying about this and looking at the, the fleeting pleasures of sin, I got to thinking about life. And I've been watching the documentaries that have been out because, like I said again, on the 20th, it's the 50th anniversary of the moonwalk. And so I was watching this one documentary. And this is the crew from Apollo 1. And many of you may know what, a ha what may have happened here, but if you didn't, there was a tragic event that happened with this crew. Who you see here is Gus, Gus Grisham, Grissom, Ed White, and Roger Chafee. They were going to be the first ones to, to orbit the moon and get a lot of the pictures of it uh, through the Apollo missions. But they woke up this day. This is a picture of the day that these three men lost their lives. And they woke up that day, and, and, and through this documentary, I got to see a lot of videos I hadn't seen before about them. And they're sitting around, they're having breakfast, and they're talking, they're laughing. You know, it didn't, you couldn't really hear the conversations, but what do you think they were talking about? Were they saying, you know what, guys, we're going to burn to death in about three hours? No, they're probably talking about what they were gonna, where they were going to go eat dinner with their wives and their children that night. They were probably talking about what they were going to be doing during these tests. There was going to be a three-hour test of uh, communications. And they, they even showed the videos and had the audio as they were in that spacecraft, in that capsule, and they were talking. They were doing these communications tests, and they were going, Capcom, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Capcom, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And one of them said, well, nobody's there. And they said, my goodness, how are we going to talk on the moon if we can't talk between three buildings? They weren't thinking about what was going to happen next. And what happened next was what you heard was this. Hey, there's a fire. There's a fire in here. Help us. Help us. Within minutes, those three men went into eternity. Did they think that was going to happen that day? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Now, if they were saved, they're okay. But if they weren't, they experienced what they're going to experience for all eternity. I had a gentleman who is in the military after the second service come up to me, and he said, he said, I hit home. Because he'd been in Afghanistan several times. And he said, so many of those young men, they're not even thinking about the next 10 minutes, let alone eternity. And so again, the fleeting pleasures of this world, is it worth, is it worth eternity in hell to reject God at His word, at His word? 
You know, Moses, it tells us here in verse 26 that he considered the reproach, the reproach of Christ. And some of you are saying, well, he didn't know Jesus. He never saw Jesus. But we must remember from uh, Genesis chapter 3, the prophecy of the Messiah to come was always there with the sacrifices. They'd already put the sacrifices into place even before the Levitical law to honor God and, and, and to show their faith in him. You know, think of Abel, what he brought, a blood sacrifice to show his honor and his faith in the Lord. And so they always knew a Messiah was coming. So this thought of the Messiah coming was generation to generation. And so even we see the Apostle Paul, what he said in Philippians 3, he said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And that's what Moses was saying. He said, Reject Egypt because the reproach, which means the persecution, the suffering for Christ is much better than all this temporary because Christ is eternal. And he refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter because he saw a reward. He saw a reward, remember? And the reward is that city that it talked about in verse 10 when it's talking about Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. They lived in tents. It didn't matter that they lived in tents because they saw the city that was coming that God prophesied and was giving them. And that city is heaven. And he said, I don't need this because there's a greater reward awaiting and it's waiting for all of us. You know, we look at reproach and persecution, suffering. You know, Timothy, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. It tells us this also. It says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know, again, we may be persecuted for standing on the truth of God's Word and actually living it out in our lives. But do you know we also, though, can bring a reproach on the name of Jesus? Because sitting in here, if we're professing Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, if we're saying we, we, we're trying to live a life and be obedient to Him, I'm not saying we're not going to mess up, but if our lifestyle is in a way that there's no evidence whatsoever of what Christ has done for us, we can bring a reproach on the name of Jesus because people are going to look at that and what are they going to call us as always? That word that starts with an H, hypocrite, hypocrite, in some form or fashion, we all are because we're imperfect. We're imperfect. But are we striving? Are we seeking God? Are we, like Moses said, I'll take on the reproach of Christ to forsake the sins of this world so that I may glorify God? Because that's what Moses was seeking to do. And ultimately, his life was totally used to show the glory of God. You know, verses 27 through 29, we continue to see Moses' faith to be worked out. So let's read those. Turn back to Hebrews if you're not already there. But verses 27 through 29. Because that choice of rejecting or refusing to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter now has put Moses' life in direction of totally surrendering everything to God. So as we look at these verses, it says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Now where we take up from here is that Moses has killed that Egyptian. 
the Pharaoh finds out about it and he's seeking to kill Moses. And Moses now leaves Egypt. He goes into the land of Midian. Again, a lot of y'all know this very well. But we see faith continued to be lived out in his life. And this gives us a great example for our lives. As he goes into the land of Midian, he marries Zipporah. He has a father-in-law named Jethro. And, and Moses, you know, he's 40 years old at this time. He goes out into this wilderness-type area, and he starts tending sheep for his father-in-law, Jethro. And then for 40 years, he's doing that as he's in a, in a, in a place of waiting and then God using him and getting him ready. And as he goes up to this mount, Mount Horeb, he's taking those sheep up there. And as he's on that mountain, God reveals himself to him in, in, in that burning bush. And Moses draws closer to see it. And he says, what is this? That this bush is burning, but it's not consumed. And, and God speaks out of that bush. And he says, take your sandals off, Moses. You're on holy ground. And this is where he calls Moses out. He says, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. I've heard the prayers of my people. You're going to go back and get them and deliver them. You're going to go back. Bring them out. Bring them out. And if we were to read that, we see there was a little discussion going on. Moses didn't quite want to do that at first, did he? He said, I don't speak well. And, you know, and, and, you know arguing with God usually doesn't turn out real well. Now, we can ask him, go before him, ask him, ask him things. But when we start arguing, things don't usually work out too well. And so Moses, God tells Moses, Aaron will help you, you're going to go. And Moses goes. And we know as he comes back into Egypt that they go, he goes before the Pharaoh. He says, God has sent me. God Jehovah has sent me. You're to let my people go. You're to let the Israelites go. And we know it starts this process of the ten plagues because Pharaoh, his, his hard heart was not going to let them go. And we get to this point, as we read in verse 27, that at the 10th plague, which was going to be the death of the firstborn of everyone who didn't do something that God commanded the Israelites to do. And that was to kill a lamb and take the blood and put it over the doorposts. And see, it says here again, by faith, by faith, they kept the Passover. They'd never done this before. They're used to sacrificing a lamb, yes, but in a way of just saying, you know, again, for forgiveness or to show praise. But now God's telling them, okay, now take the blood, put it on the doorposts so that I'm sending the death things. The death things will flow if you do this by faith. And they did this. But may I remind us as we looked at that picture and saw the blood on the doorposts that we realize that there was blood shed at another time. But that blood wasn't put on a doorpost. That blood ran down a cross. And see, what we've been talking about is we've been seeing these physical redemptions, if you will, these physical salvations. Moses' life was saved because his parents were obedient and put him in that basket down the Nile. Here, the Israelites physically are going to get to leave Egypt for ever and not go back but a physical redemption, if you will, but by faith, but by what Christ did, what Christ did on the cross, that's the real redemption. That's the real salvation we need. We need is through repentance and trust in what Christ did for the blood that he shed, that he was buried, that he died, and he rose again. But as we know, after that tenth plague, 
Pharaoh let them go. And by this time, scholars tell us that there's close to 2 million Israelites. And so they start heading out of Egypt. The Egyptians, they were glad to see them leave. They were giving them jewelry. They were giving them uh, you know, sheep. They were giving them food for the journey. They were wanting them out after this last plague. And so they go out and they end up, we know where next, at the Red Sea. We just read that, that they're encamped there at the Red Sea. But Pharaoh, his heart hardened again, says, what have I done? What have I done? What have we done? We've just let our, our whole workforce leave. How are we going to get anything done? So it says he got all his horses, all his chariots, his army, and they pursue the Israelites. And here the Israelites are encamped by that Red Sea. And surely with all the chariots, with all the horses, as they're coming down towards where they were, the ground had to start trembling a little bit. Dust had to be flying up in the air. And the Israelites look and they see Pharaoh's army coming. And they turn on Moses and they go, Moses, why did you bring us here? Why did you just bring us out here to die? At least back in Egypt. See, look how fickle we can be. Looking back at Egypt, we at least got a little food. But Moses stands up. And he says, be of good courage. He said, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the salvation of the Lord today. And if you remember as the Israelites were going across this wilderness that God sent with a, with a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. And Scripture tells us there in Exodus that that cloud, that God moved that cloud from in front of them to behind them and blocked the Egyptian army from coming. And he tells Moses, Moses, stretch out your arms. Stretch out your arms. I'm going to do a miracle. And the waters of that Red Sea part and they come up as walls and there is dry ground from one side of that sea to the other. But again, it took faith. It took faith. The Israelites had to take that step. Had to take that step. They had to start walking across. And they started walking across. And it took them all night. Again, through Scripture, through Exodus, if you read it, we see that when the day broke and they looked back, that the cloud and the pillar of fire was there, and that God removed it, and the Egyptians were able to start coming across that land to try to capture them over on the other side. And we see that the Egyptians were bogged down, and that the waters came back upon them and killed the Egyptian army. And I got to thinking about that. I got thinking about just life. You know, maybe you today, you've never taken that first step of repentance and trust in Jesus Christ. And see, the way is open. You know, the Israelites, when, when, when Moses raised his arms out and that sea spread out and those walls of water were there, they had again by faith walk across. But the path was clear. They could see it was clear all the way. But they still had to take that first step. Is it for you today that you see the ways open? It's already been open. Jesus died. Jesus shed the blood. The blood on the cross that he shed has paved the way for you to know salvation, a true spiritual salvation, not the physical salvation we're seeing through this event, but a salvation that will help you for all eternity because it's either heaven or hell. It's open. It's open. Will you take that first step? 
And it could be just struggles in your life today. And, and you're holding on to grudges. You're holding on to pain. You're holding on to hurt. And God, again, the way is open. He's saying, come to me. Release it. Release it to me. But we, we keep looking back at the Egyptian armies. You know, Egypt always in Scripture is referenced to, to paganism, sinfulness. Are we going to step out in faith? The choice is, are we going to come out in faith and trust Him in these times of our lives? Are you, if you're not saved today, are you going to take that first step of faith? Because the way is wide open. And what we see here is two aspects of faith. The Israelites made it across because they believed. The Egyptians did not. And they were swamped and drowned and killed in their disbelief. And that awaits, that awaits for us if we do not step out in faith and repentance of our sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Please stand, let's pray. Father, we come to this time and Lord, we come in prayer and I pray that many people are praying right now. God, because Lord, we know there's people in here that have not taken that first step to repent of their sins and given their life to Christ. They're in this very room. So I pray, God, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you will draw them. And Lord, that they will make that walk to the back where we can talk to them and continue to share the gospel through your word and and Lord, uh, that they fully understand and will come to you in faith. And Lord, there are those here we know are hurting. There's physical needs. There's, there's, there's spiritual needs. There's things going on in our mind. There's, Lord, there's anger. There's, there's, there's unforgiveness. But God, we know again, we look at you, we cry out to you, we grab hold of you in faith to help us with it. Take these things of our life. But Lord, also as a believer, God, we, we, we have joy that we can take each day by and, and Lord, live for you and honor you. Are we going to make the choice to put you at the forefront of our lives and honor you through all the things we say, do, how we act? Because, God, you've called us to go out and be your witnesses. You've called us to go out and make disciples. And we can't do that unless we're doing that ourselves. If we're studying and praying and, and willing to allow you to use us. Moses had to consider the cost. And he made the decision to t totally reject the world system and come after you. Are we willing to do that? God, I just thank you for this day. And I pray again. The Lord will be at the back. Anyone that needs anything, we're there for them. I pray for each person here that you will take them out this week and just bless them, Lord. Strengthen them. Give them peace. Most of all, may they all know you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com slash mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.